Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi. And joining me to take your questions this evening are Devin Schutz from the Robert Group and Alex Dace from Mtombo Wealth. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Uh, Alex, Devin, good to see you both there this evening. Uh, Alex, if I may start with you, uh, it was a, an okay day on the JSE. There were some pretty strong performers um, and they weren't all Rand Hedge stocks. So I wonder how long it might take, if it takes anything at all, for the fact that we're grey listed now to filter into the equity market? Or do you think that it's going to be a sort of a slow bleed out of South African equities, maybe? Yeah, good evening. Um, I mean, certainly, we're in a, obviously in the middle of earnings season. Today, there wasn't a, a lot of updates, but there's a bit of respite, but I'm sure it's going to ramp up again in the near term. Um, if you look at where the RAND has been trading, it's always been incredibly weak. It's lost about 10% since in the middle of, of January, um, mostly due to the own goals that we've scored in South Africa. You know, all ESCOM situation, um, obviously the great listing as well. Um, so we've seen material movements um, in, in share prices this month. Um, if you specifically look at resources, they've been very, very weak uh, in, in February. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, we usually win the RAND, in our view, tends to trade at about two, two and fifty range from a starting point of the year. So we probably have seen quite a lot of weakness already as it is. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some form of recovery, but obviously the structural trend as we all know in South Africa at the moment is continuing to tend negative. So it probably means RAND weeks will continue over the medium to long term. It's very difficult to say whether RAND's going to go in a shorter term or ever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not, not much to get excited about uh, at the moment, unfortunately. But there are lots of opportunities though in the market. Um, yeah. I think that is, so, so stock pickers market certainly. Well, we can get to that. I mean, Devin, uh, uh, certainly Wayne McCurry was saying uh, the last couple of weeks, 16 Rand 50 would probably be a fair level for the Rand to trade at, um, or fair value. Um, and of course, and the Rand does tend to overshoot um, on the, you know, it, it's um, on the upside or the downside. Um, but with a grey listing in place, do you think maybe the um, 1650 is a bit, of, a bit of a pipe dream at this stage? Look, it feels far away, doesn't it? And that's, <laughs> that's usually when the RAND tends to, <laughs> tends to surprise us the most. Juliet, I've no, I've no idea where, where it could go. I mean, 1650 is, is what we we're hearing as, as fair value. I think, we, as Alex said, we've scored a, a number of own goals. I think also what we, we're dealing with at the moment over the last week or so is a resurgent dollar. You know, just when everyone called peak dollar and that did happen and, and we saw it sell off quite heavily against the basket of global currencies through January, we've, we've seen it start to lift its head again. And I, th I think the, the reason for that is primarily driven by the expectations now that central banks are going to, you know, have to keep rates higher for longer or possibly even hike more than maybe the market was initially forecast in the beginning of the year. So, mm. yeah, you, you throw that into the mix and the RANDs really had nowhere to, to turn between ESCOM grey listing <laughs> and, yeah, a, a, a perky greenback. <laughs> yes, exactly. I wish there was something a bit more perky about the South African economy and maybe the news flow because it's dire. I mean, you read the Washington Post's uh, advertorial, as it were, <laughs> for the job of ESCOM CEO, basically calling it the worst job in the energy sector in the world um, and very scathing about it too. So let's just talk about the things that we know and maybe have some sort of um, uh, foresight into, uh, which is uh, the shares listed on the JSE. Uh, there's a question firstly on PEPCOR. Um, 
And the viewer says, I love what Pepcorp presents to shareholders, what they're doing in the retail space, uh, now taking business to another continent. So uh, that would be the Brazilian deal that they struck. Is this a buy or a hold? Or do I wait for further dips to buy in? According to Simply Wall Street, the fair valuation is 9.44. Can the panel please give us some clarity on the stock? Um, I don't know about the fair valuation, Alex, but um, your thoughts on Pepco? Yeah, so Pepco, for me, it, you know, it's almost like two different businesses. So one side of it, obviously the clothing, specifically Pep and Ackermann's, I really do like. I think those are quality businesses. At the moment, they are obviously slightly under pressure due to the weak economy, but certainly they've got a, quite a strong runway and it's trusted brands and, you know, lots of potential in those assets. I really don't like the speciality side of the business and the furniture side and building materials. And yeah, so I think for them to really unlock the share price, value in the share price, they need to do some corporate action, in my view, mm. in the spun of some assets. So, you know, they, they, they tried, of course, selling the building materials business, which they were unsuccessful in doing so. But I just think, you know, this almost almost like a conglomerate, not, not a conglomerate extent, but this mix of assets, I think has a negative impact on the rating and the growth potential makes it more complex to assess. And quite frankly, you're, you're mixing lower quality business with quality ones, and that's never a good thing. So mm. I so for me, Pepco is a restraining one because I've always seen optionality in it, but I just can't see it being unlocked in, in the near term, unfortunately. So for me, it's, it's more of a lukewarm in a moment yeah. until you see starting starts some evidence about some corporate action or real change. Obviously, the sign of Owang is still, you know, it's obviously a problem there. Um, so that's having a negative impact, but that doesn't really have a fundamental impact on the business if you take a medium to longer to view. Hmm. I mean, but the fair value, um, well, uh, you know, and these are all estimates, uh, you know, so take, you know, everyone's going to have a slightly different view on it. Um, th that's pretty much half where it's trading at the moment. Um, Devin, I don't know what you make of that or, you know, whether you think there's any prospect that they would actually sell off some of the assets that Alex believes shouldn't be part of the group. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I, I don't have any guidance on, on if that is a consideration by management. Um, I, I do agree with them that the, the gem is really the, the clothing there. They've done incredibly well in a difficult domestic market. Uh, market share continues to grow. Uh, margins are expanding there. So, you know, it's a company that, that, that we like. We think that it, it operates in a very competitive part of the, the the market but but does incredibly well there and you know is a is a leader there so yeah you know the the other bits and bobs are around kind of the the core clothing you you kind of have to take with it at the moment but but we think that the business yeah it's probably reasonably priced i can't speak to that specific valuation juliet i'm not mm. sure um, and the brazilian business uh that they that they purchased um whose name escapes me now but it was the the family-owned business that they bought which had been kind of starved of investments and it looks like they're putting some money into it putting the backing of the pepco group do you think that was a savvy deal because it is you know it's outside of south africa but no one's really well, as far as I know, in the South African retail sector has actually gone into the South American market. So it's a bit of a first. Um, Alex, maybe going back to you there, is it a deal that you liked and do you think maybe it'll pay off over time? Look, at the moment, the deal is not particularly material. Um, so I think it'll take time for if, if, if are successful to get have a material impact on the business. It's certainly an interesting one, as you alluded to, because South Africans haven't really gone to South America, tend to prefer to go to the UK or Australia because it's almost like a part of immigration. <laughs> I can't see the, the uh, you know, any reason why I want to emigrate to Brazil. Yes, I think obviously they're in for the long term. Yes. So I think it's a good one. Um, I'm, at the moment, uh, I don't have a view if it's going to be successful or not, because I think time will tell. But certainly I do prefer when managers 
or management teams rather decide to do something different. Obviously, you've got some language issues you need to adhere to, and then Brazil is a completely different market than what we're used to. But, you know, it could potentially be very lucrative. So I'll certainly be watching it closely. Mm. And if you start seeing evidence about it, certainly you need to upscale it. But luckily, not betting the house on it or failing there is not going to be another world for, for Pepco as well. Yeah. I mean, in a nutshell, Devin, do you think the market is getting it wrong on Pepco? Or do you think there's a justified reason behind its pretty lukewarm share price performance? Look, I mean, we know the, the headwinds that the domestic economy faces. So I think the market's probably placing a lot of importance in that, despite the fact that the business has has navigated, uh, you know, tricky waters pretty well. Um, yeah, I think the jury's out on Avenida, however you pronounce it, the Brazilian deal. I think it, it, it is fairly small in, in their life. Um, we are always cautious when we see South African companies go offshore. You know, what, what do we know that the locals don't? That's always a question we, we ask ourselves. So yeah, time will tell there. Um, yeah, but quality franchise and, and I think enough in it for us to still be constructive on the counter. Okay. And what about Cap Industrial? Um, and Devin, staying with you, uh, the, the question is, any explanation regarding the massive sell-off in Cap? Is this becoming really cheap? Or, does, or do the underlying businesses face more headwinds moving forward? Cap is frustrating to a lot of people, I suspect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, I, I, I mean, it, it, it is looking attractive from a valuation perspective, but, you know, you could argue not without reason. There, again, you know, when, when you're a kind of a, a mid-sized industrial company in South Africa, you're really going to have to box smart to, you know, just stay in one place, never mind move backwards. So, you know, some, some of the businesses are, are doing better than others. Um, you know, if I... They're probably the, the last results weighed a little bit on the share price. Um, I think PG Bison stood up pretty well, but, you know, Restonic and, and the likes were under pressure. <laughs> Juliet, I think you, you, you've really got to be quite, quite brave to commit new capital to these types of businesses now. It's, it's one we've, we've liked from a quality of management perspective for a while. But I think when, when the outlook remains as uncertain and as opaque as it does for the domestic economy, I, I think it does warrant some caution from investors. Mm. Alex, are you similarly circumspect or do you take a different view? And I mean, it has been a fairly catastrophic fall since, since January. And it's, you know, it had been holding along 4 Rand, 4 Rand 50, and all of a sudden, here we are, down another 2.9% today. Yeah, I mean, look, cup is certainly not expensive. It's actually quite attractive from a Asian perspective, but um, problem is that it's very difficult for them to get all the divisions to fire simultaneously. So always tend to have one or two divisions doing well and one or two doing very badly. And this was no exception. Um, and I think one of the reasons the business got spooked is obviously working capital is very high. Um, and that also led to the leverage ratios increasing to perhaps uncomfortable levels. And I think that spooked the misses a little bit. Um, there's also a couple of other issues like the, I remember there was one sort of maintenance on the PG Bison, et cetera. Um, Safra calls, margins were perhaps a little bit less than people wanted to and so forth. So, it's, you know, I can see a reason why we want to buy it if you're going to take a medium term view, but you're going to have to take it with the highs and lows because that's, it tends to be quite volatile from an operational earnings perspective and that does tend to disappoint. Mm. And as soon as you write it off, it comes back with a bang over a set of results. So it's a, it's a difficult one uh, for me to, to be to time it, I guess. I think you, you have to have some patience. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then now there's two stocks before we um, head into the break um, that I'm not sure if either you, of you would have looked at. The one is 
It's Kibo Energy, which is a tiny little company, and um, it came out with an update today, which I have to confess that I didn't see. The company's uh, received eight times more than anticipated on its selling price. It seems to have gone under the radar considering its energy prospects. Is it worth a punt? Uh, given the energy crisis we face and the share's current price. Is this something that you've either of you have ever looked at? Fortunately not. No, not, not me. <laughs> okay. And then what about Core Potash, <laughs> which is similarly, well, maybe not quite as small as Kibo. Um, I mean, there it was a slightly more obvious um, you could argue that, that the, the, the rationale was maybe slightly more obvious for core in the last financial year, given what happened to potash prices, um, fertilizer prices, thanks to uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, but I think it's had quite a few management issues, um, as far as I understand. Um, Alex, is this one that you've looked at at all? Unfortunately, it's a bit too small for, for us. I mean, we're institutional investors, so that's one. That's, the liquidity is simply not there for so for us to consider. So I, I can't give a comment on mm. that. Devin? Yeah, not not one we we follow closely. I mean, just just a comment on on any kind of mineral exploration companies come with a a kind of higher <coughs> risk premium. Um, I yeah, I, I don't want to comment any more on that. It's just, just not close enough to it. Sorry. Mm. I mean, just can I ask you maybe for the benefit of the viewer who was asking about the potash industry specifically, there are a few options uh, where you could get ac exposure to it via much, much bigger players like, um, well, BHP Billiton didn't uh, with the, the deal yeah. that they did with Woodside. Uh, Anglo-American uh, also has a, um, a potash interest. Uh, um, I can't remember the name of the company now, but it's a UK company that it bought into a couple of years ago. Uh, Woodside, or, mm, yeah. Oh, yeah may so maybe mean, I'm thinking uh, of the uh, same uh, company. <laughs> Alex, um, but if you, I mean, does it, does it thrill you? Does it, uh, is it a sector of the, uh, metal, uh, the minerals market that you would want exposure to? Look, some of, some of the diversified miners are seeing opportunity um, in potash. Obviously, they believe that agricultural growth can be very important. As a result, you need to invest in minerals for that, which is obviously potash. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm no expert on it, unfortunately. I mean, it's not something that we are used to really looking at, but most closely, and we'll have to increase our knowledge on it going forward. But, um, the, I mean, specifically, um, Anglo-Americans, but it's a huge project uh, at the moment. I think it's then in the northeast of, of, of the the UK. So um, it's certainly one to be following. Um, and I think there's a lot of this potential there, but I've got no understanding yet what, what the margin is going to be like compared to the existing, you know, is it going to be 50, 60% EBITDA margins? I don't know. It's all of those free cash flow generation ability, the payouts, programs, the volatility of the prices. So there's lots of unknowns at the deal stage, which I still need to investigate to you know, understand the fundamentals of potash. Okay. Apologies to the viewer that we are not experts in Kibo Energy, Core Potash, or indeed the potash market in general. So um, I'm going to move on to, I, I actually have been looking at Discovery share price and wondering what on earth, why the market was so gung-ho on Discovery um, after the release of its results on Thursday. They did really well on Thursday. They sort of came back a little bit on Friday. Today they had another really good day. Um, and, and not and notwithstanding the fact that there is this sort of a perennial question mark about cash in the business and the fact that you've got all sorts of different levels of headline earnings and core earnings that you would have to analyze, which make things incredibly tricky. Devin, why is the markets seemingly giving Discovery the benefit of the doubt? Look, maybe they understand more than we do. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. What, what you do know is when you get a set of Discovery results, they're inherently complex. 
um, you know, insurance companies at the best of time are difficult to decipher and discovery's taken it to a new level. There was some criticism that, you know, they adjusted out a, a lot of kind of market conditions and made their results flattering. But, but I think, you know, without getting into the financial gymnastics, I think you really got to look at what the group is doing, right? And a lot of the, the, the core strategy now is increasingly being reliant on the bank. Now, the bank's been massively cash, cash hungry. I think they've invested close to 10 billion rand to date in that, which is a lot more than they initially expected, but, but maybe to be expected. And I think they are, are probably realistically forecasting that that, that is going to start generating over a billion rand in operating profit within the next three years. If you look at kind of the, the run rates of new clients being onboarded, that's going to get close to a thousand clients a day. They're more affluent clients. Um, they, they're starting to lend to them. And what Discovery does so well is integrate with all their other products and, get, you know, incentivize their, their clients to, to move along their value chain. So I, I think the, the complexity always is a, an issue for Discovery. Um, but, you know, what, what we like is that we, we don't think they need to be paying their dividend at the moment. They're reinvesting in the business, and it looks like those investments are starting to, to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. The, the operating loss on the bank did narrow, so, so that showed they're on the, the right track to that operating profit. And my, my sense is that every other new line of product that they've launched in the past, they've, they've managed to move through the J-curve and become profitable. And my sense is that the bank is on the same track there, and that's probably what investors are taking hope in. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Alex, uh, if you look at the share price graph, which is what we have up on screen now of a year, Discovery is only heading back to where it was in, in sort of, um, I, I guess, April or so last year, before there was a real decline along with the rest of the markets um, in October and the big sell-off. So it's, it's really, in a way, just a recovery, and we're nowhere close to the highs of last year. Um, so do you think maybe the share price performance is not, you know, look at it in the context of what it's done over the past year and, and not just maybe the last couple of weeks? Look, I mean, Discovery share price has pretty much gone nowhere since 2015, give or take. <laughs> and that's despite producing massive growth earnings year after year. And I think the problem with that is, you know, it's the quality of the earnings. Uh, you know, it's, in our view, Discovery's accounting is opaque. Uh, we think they use very aggressive uh, accounting and as well as serial assumptions. Balance sheet is highly geared and as old as no dividend and doing all those initiatives. And yeah, it's just one that makes us very uncomfortable, to be quite frank. Um, mm. So for us, we must prefer something like a Sunlam where the cash accounting is much more in line with the actual earnings accounting. Um, you know, get a good solid dividend. You know, they might not be as sexy, as more boring, but you know, at the end of the day, that's going to pay the bills. Um, so for us, I mean, Discovery's Ventures in, in the UK has been a disaster. It hasn't added any value. Um, you know, if you look at the cash generation earnings there, it's, it's, it's been negligible. Um, you know, banks can be very difficult in this environment. Insurance hasn't really added value. I don't know. For, for us, you know, we think the valuation is quite expensive as well for Discovery, uh, in our view. Okay. So, the, I mean, if you look at the sector, I mean, something like a Sunlum is trading at pretty much EV, or less than EV, I think 10% discount, give or take. Uh, Discovery at the premium. For us, we can't reconcile that. Um, so, for us, certainly, it's not one that we like. I, I can see some, some investors liking uh, Discovery. But for us, we, better, we prefer to sell on the sidelines. Yeah. I have to say, um, Discovery does polarize, and, and both arguments are, are entirely logical. Um, and it's, it's, Discovery just polarizes, I guess, its, its detractors and its backers. And it's a, it's a really hard call. I guess you, you, know, you, as an investor, have to, have to 
buy the story or, or not. Um, can I ask you about Murray and Roberts? Um, was not a pretty trading statement. And, and uh, Alex, before we went on air, you mentioned that uh, it's almost inevitable that it's going to need a rights offer. Um, Devin, is that the sense that you get from the Murray and Roberts trading updates out today? Because the market certainly didn't take it very well. Yeah, Gillette, it, it, it probably is. I mean, it's it's inevitable that 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 balance sheet does need an injection of of some sort. Um, yeah, the trading update was pretty weak, and and I think, yeah, the the, the outlook is is still uncertain there. So yeah, kind of piecing to together what we know so far, I think it is likely. Hmm. Alex, I mean, if you were a Marion Roberts shareholder, um, and I know a couple of people who bought into Marion Roberts in the last couple of weeks thinking, no, this is too cheap, it's got to recover, it's a stalwart, um, what would you be doing now? Besides kicking your Look, in our view, uh, the Marion Roberts investment case is impaired and obvious. So we were shareholders. Uh, we bought about in a year ago, and when it started unraveling in, in Australia, we exited there. We had to obviously, if that's to say, your first loss is your best loss. Um, I think since then, the shares dropped a lot since then obviously Australian assets is now technically worthless um, and if you look, look at the announcement today they say that you know the balance sheets on the bridge and they're looking at options so most likely it'll be, be a rights issue um, yeah so it, it's a difficult one to be quite frank uh, I think it's exceptionally high risk uh, Martin Roberts at the moment doesn't mean it, it you know you can't make a lot of money yet but I think you have to be able to willing to take that risk and uh, this thing can easily all Perhaps double, triple your money, but you can also lose, in my view, 80%, if not 100% of your money, something goes wrong. Yeah. So I think it's, it's high risk. I mean, is this a salutary uh, tale in to ignore um, the size of the order book, which is generally what construction companies will highlight as one of the first line items in their financial statements, and they'll say, look at this, uh, the, the prospective order book and the actual confirmed order book. Whereas if you don't have any cash uh, in the business, you, it's almost impossible to deliver on because you have to t assume all the risk and take on all all, um, all the cost essentially up front of, of these big projects. Is that kind of in lesson 101 for construction companies? Don't be swayed by the order book? Yes, I, I mean, unfair? it was a bit of concern mm -hmm. as I as keep saying that the order book is growing X amount and it's been out since another billion dollar contract here, et cetera. Um, the fact of the matter is these companies operate at exceptionally low margins, any construction company or, you know, engineering projects company and so forth. And when you've got a, like a fixed cost type of, um, a fixed revenue type of project and you get cost overruns, which happened with, with uh, Marion Roberts in Australia, it pretty much means small movements and that wipes all your profits. Um, or cash might be, be stuck for longer than, long, you know, than you anticipate. And as a result, you have to use debt. And, a and business models like this, can't absorb a lot of debt because um, you know working capital is very cyclical. Yeah. It's low margin and so forth. So, yeah, it's a it, it's a it's not a good business model. Um, when it works, it was not it works nicely. But you know, yeah. I think the risk of that project was just simply too high for for Martin Roberts. And unfortunately, COVID happened, and the, in Australia is a very tough environment, as you saw with Wilson Bailey and a couple of others. Yeah, when it works, being the operative uh, words. Um, right, we'll get into your stock picks this evening, and if it is indeed a stock picker's market, Devin, what takes your fancy? Sure. So I'm going for a local counter. It's a business that's been in existence for over 130 years, Roynet. Uh, this is a really well-run technology and electronics business. They've got three divisions, but but the one that's really catching our attention is their applied electronics, which you know you could call it a load shedding hedge, if you will. And what they they're doing on there is focusing on renewal, the renewable energy market. 
they provide some really sophisticated turnkey engineering solutions there at scale. So almost from idea to implementation for key clients. Uh, the balance sheet looks good to us. Companies in a net cash position at commands healthy margin because of its kind of IP and, and the way it, it delivers its services at, and on 11 times earning and 5% dividend yield, we think it's an attractive space to be looking. Okay, cool. Ryan, Roy, not for you. Uh, Alex, how about you? Yeah, I'm going for Spur. Um, so results came out on, on Friday. For those excellent set of results. I mean, business is technically in a 15% net cash position, and that cash is still growing as we speak. I mean, this business is very cash generative. Its uh, forward P is looking very attractive. We saw the interim results, which was pretty much a record interim results. Um, and it's out, it felt, for me, it feels like Spurs found its mojo again. Um, I think they managed to do the right things there and you know, focus on growth. They've got interesting capital allocations since coming up. Um, and the value is very compelling, like many other African companies. But I think the risks here are substantially lower. Mm-hmm. And also they are getting some benefit of the COVID environment. People are dining out a little bit more, even though things are tough. But of all the load shedding, you're also forced to go out. <laughs> I think yeah. the dining is, 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 is doing quite well and spurs a brand that is well-respected in South Africa, um, specifically those with kids. And I can't see that changing anytime soon. And but I think also management, you know, put some new energy in the business and I think they're in the right path. And I think at these valuation levels, certainly worth uh, worth investing in. Yeah. And it's good to see, you know, a business um, come through COVID, um, you know, that was in such a sort of, it's had so many things thrown at it and come out of it on the other side. It's, uh, it's, it's very good to see. Alex, uh, Devon, we shall leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, Devon Shoot is from the Robert Group. Alex Dace is from Umtombo Wealth and Stockwatch is back tomorrow night. Have a good evening. Thank you.